All right, good morning, church. Today we are going to jump into John chapter 15. Now, this is a well-known and beloved passage in John. And I agree with what Kendra had said earlier about exercising and singing. Um, It works a lot better if we focus on what we're doing. And and as you were talking about singing songs, I thought the, the same goes for reading Scripture. We so often can read Scripture, but if we're not intently focused on each word, the meaning of the text, we can miss what's in there. Now this passage in John 15, there's great teaching in this chapter, and there's some some challenging teaching as well, and I pray that while we spend some time this morning walking through this text together, we will be blessed and strengthened as individual believers and together as a church. And just as I was going through this chapter this week, I thought, boy, the Gospel of John is something that I could probably spend... Um, each Sunday just doing a couple verses at a time as opposed to a chapter at a time. So we will go through this quickly. There is stuff in here I would love to spend half hour on one verse, but we just are not going to do that. So yes, I just made the comment about focusing on it and spending time thinking about it, and now I'm going to just go over it a little quickly. So um, take time this week and spend some time looking at these words, uh, especially some of the ones that that perhaps I go over very briefly or or don't touch on specifically this morning. But before we jump in, let's just open with prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, God. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in this text. God, I pray that as we walk through this 15th chapter of the Gospel of John today, God, that you will open our eyes and ears to you. God, I ask for your spirit upon us as we look at your words, as we listen to your voice in them. God, I pray that I decrease, that people do not leave here thinking of something that I said, but God, leave here dwelling on something written in your text, hearing from you, from your spirit here this morning. God, so just get me out of the way. Let your text shine, God. Let your word to each of us just dig down deep into our hearts. And I pray that it will change us as we follow you here today and into this week. Pray this in your name. Amen. So let's start in verse 1 of John chapter 15. I'm going to quickly or just read through the first six verses and we're going to look at those briefly. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now in these opening few verses of this chapter, we get this imagery of the vine, the gardener, the branches, fruit, pruning, burning, a whole bunch of things going on. And Jesus uses this illustration as he teaches his disciples And he uses it to paint a picture for them, but then also as a foundation as he moves forward through the rest of the chapter. 
So let's just walk through these opening verses and make sure we're grabbing a hold of everything that Jesus is painting for us in this image. First, we have a vine. Jesus is the vine. The vine is the lifeblood of the plant. The vine is what has the root and contains life in it. There are branches attached to the vine, and they get their life from the vine. They are dependent on the vine. Secondly, we have the vine dresser or the gardener, depending on your translation. Jesus says that the Father is the gardener. The gardener cares for the vine, is active in working with the vine and the branches. The gardener cuts entire branches off and prunes other ones that remain in the vine. Jesus says that there are branches that are connected to this vine. Some branches are just there. They're leafy, but they're not actually accomplishing the purpose of the vine, and that is to bear fruit. Now, if you are making wine, your grapevine needs to produce grapes. Branches that are just leafy are not actually accomplishing anything for you. And Jesus says that there are branches that are producing fruit. The grapes are growing, and it can be seen that they are producing. There's a visible difference between a branch that's loaded with grapes and a branch that merely has leaves on it. These grape-producing branches are not independent of the vine. They're not just growing alongside the vine as a separate plant. They are connected to the vine, and they're receiving everything they need to grow from the vine. Now, Jesus tells us that the branches are people. There are branches who bear fruit and branches who do not. Jesus says that the Father takes away these branches that do not bear fruit. These branches are cut off. They are stacked in a pile separate from the vine. Without the vine, they are not prospering. They are not bearing fruit. They are withering. And Jesus says they are thrown into a fire and burned. Now, it's not hard to see what Jesus is doing here. Branches are people. There is a fire. There are branches that are not connected to the vine, not bearing fruit. And the Father throws them into the fire. But Jesus also says that there are branches that connect to the vine and are bearing fruit. The branches are connected to the vine, and the, the vine is feeding them, giving them everything they need, not to simply exist, but to also bear fruit. And again, we're not talking about grapevines here. We're talking about Christ and people. And very specifically in this context, within the Gospels, we're getting a picture of Jesus, Jews, and Gentiles. The nation of Israel was connected to the vine, but they were not producing fruit. The gardener grafts in different branches that now produce fruit, and that is believers from the Gentiles, which includes us. Now, Jesus uses this word abiding a fair amount in this chapter, and we're going to get to that word more uh, in depth a little bit later, but we can see from this opening section that our abiding in Christ is what bears fruit. The branches that is intricately, I can never say this word, the branch that is very well connected to the vine will bear fruit. If only bears fruit, it only bears fruit because it's connected to the vine and only because the vine gives the branch what it needs. Jesus says only the person that he abides in actually bears fruit. So that's just a quick summary of these first six verses. Now there's a couple things we need to grab a hold of before we move on. First is, apart from Christ, we do nothing. As sinful, fallen people, we will do nothing good on our own. We are purely incapable of producing anything good, anything at all, apart from Christ. 
the creator and sustainer of all creation. Second, if we're going to bear any fruit in our lives, this only comes through connection to the vine. That is, we must find our life in Christ alone. Jesus says, whoever abides in me and me in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now, it's not simply enough to attend church, know a few verses, have a basic understanding of Christianity. It's not enough to know that God exists and the Bible is true in what it says. Jesus says that he must abide in you for you to produce any fruit. And this comes when we have a true saving faith in Christ. His spirit working in us, drawing us to him and working in us, producing fruit. Now thirdly, Jesus says every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now I want to just camp here for a moment or two before we move on to the next passage. Every branch that does bear fruit, that is, every true believer who is intimately connected to Jesus and who clearly has the Holy Spirit indwelling and working within them, is pruned by the Father so that they may bear more fruit. My friends, this is sanctification. That is, the process of God working in your life, making you to be more and more like Jesus. And that is the actual entire goal of our lives. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, For those whom God foreknew, that is, intimately loved before creation, for those whom God foreknew, He also predestined. He decreed to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Before creation, God decreed that the Son would step into His own creation in human flesh. He would live, He would die, He would be raised, and He would be glorified in all of it. And in His glory, He would work in the lives of those whom He loved to make us like Christ. This was a gift to Himself, to bring Himself glory. And so God wants us to grow. We are to grow in our faith. We are are to become more like Christ. And this does not happen on its own. It requires life from Christ, producing fruit in our lives. It requires the work of the Father pruning us like a gardener prunes branches. Now, it may come as a surprise to all of you, but I am not a plant. I imagine, though, that when a plant is pruned, it's not typically shouting for joy when little snippets are being trimmed off here and there. I imagine that this pruning can hurt. It can be tough. It can be difficult. But it results in a healthier, healthier, more fruitful plant in the end. Now, I've been through some very challenging times in my life, I'm sure not unlike many of you as well. I look back at these times as when God was most definitely at work, shaping me, making me into the person that I am today. And I'm thankful that he molded and formed these parts of my character as a man, as a Christian. But these times of pruning, these times of shaping did not come without a cost. I experienced some extreme personal and emotional pain. I suffered and struggled through some really difficult times in which I cried out to God with tears running down my face, asking why He was bringing me through this. I spent time in prayer saying, God, you've taught me enough for today. 
But in the end, it was clear to see and came with a vast increase in fruit. But at the time the pruning took place, all I noticed was the hurt. And this kind of goes along with what I was talking about a few weeks ago. God has a plan and is bringing about his plan for his purpose. And ultimately, it will bring him glory, and it is for our good. But when we are in it, like Joseph in slavery or in prison, we don't always understand what is going on, nor can we always see the light at the end of the tunnel. I want to quickly take a look at a couple of verses in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verses 4 to 6 and verse 11. The author writes, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And verse 11, For the moment all discipline seems painful, rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Jesus says that every branch that bears fruit, the Father prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And so I can tell you with absolute certainty, if you are a Christian here this morning, you can expect pruning. But let's move on. Let's look at verse 8 in John chapter 15. John writes, or as Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now this is a statement by Jesus that really connects to what I was just saying about our sanctification as well as what we looked at last week when we worked through Jesus' command for his people in the church to sacrificially love one another. In that message, I had said that our changed lives, our living out this life of sacrificial love for one another, for one another shows the world just how great God is. I challenged us to make Jesus' command to love one another our mission so that the people in our surrounding communities see how we love one another and in doing so, show them just how amazing God is. Our bearing fruit, our loving one another, our living changed lives proves the legitimacy of our faith and ultimately brings glory to God. Now I've pointed out several times that in Scripture we see that as fallen sinful humans we do not live to love one another and forgive one another and extend kindness and grace to one another and love sacrificially with one another. That's not inherent in our sin nature. And so when we live this way, showing the world around us that God is living and active in us, having changed us in such a way, He is now glorified. Our lives do not show how great we are at being Christians. Our lives show how amazing God is. Now before we move to the next couple of sections, there's a couple of verses. No, I'm jumping ahead of myself. That's yet to come. Let's continue on, verse 10. Verses 10 to 12. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now as I read through these three, this three-verse section of John 15, there's three things that stood out to me. And the first one from verse 10 is this. Abiding in Christ looks like keeping his commandments. Now in the first section of this chapter, we mentioned that Jesus uses the word abide a lot. And we've seen it earlier in John as well. Jesus talks about us abiding in him. We've looked into what this word means and have seen that it talks about living, residing, resting, staying, having a home in. Now, I'm not sure about you, but maybe it's just me, but while I kind of get the statement, abiding in Christ, it doesn't always seem super clear in my mind. What does it mean to abide in Christ? What does it look like for us to abide in Christ? And the answer to that question, I think, is what we see in verse 10. Abiding in Christ looks like obedience. It looks like keeping His commands. Keeping Christ's commands is the simple, practical way that we abide in Him. And the second thing that stood out to me here in these three verses is that keeping commandments brings joy. Now this one, for me, is a bit of a stop and think for a moment. Now, ever since I was a kid, I don't really recall ever thinking that following rules or adhering to my parents or anyone else's commands seemed like anything that was joy-giving. But here, Jesus says that his disciples will only bear fruit if they abide in him, and they abide in him through obedience to his commands. And by being obedient to Christ, they will be filled with his joy, and their joy will overflow. Diligently seeking to be obedient, to be obedient brings joy. Keeping God's commands brings joy. Now, like I said, if you're a bit like me and you don't think of obedience to commands as bringing joy, if obedience feels a little bit like following rules that nobody likes, then maybe we need to stop and reassess how we think about that. Keeping Jesus' commands brings joy. So if you're like me, let's maybe change our thinking on on that, what it means to keep commands. Let's think of the joy we have in doing what God calls us to and not think of obedience as something that's oppressive to us. Now, I remember when Noah was about eight or nine years old, and I can share the story because he's not here this morning. Uh, The church we were at had connected with an inner city mission in Winnipeg, and we would just go and serve there. We had a team that led times of worship, I would speak some short messages throughout the evening, and we would serve supper to people that came in. And when we were serving supper, Noah would excitedly hand out buns to people coming in as they were getting their bowl of chili. After the night was done and we were cleaning up, Noah would grab the mop and pail and gleefully wash the floors. And honestly, standing there as a father, this made my heart sing. It brought tears of joy to my eyes. Noah was simply there loving on people, serving this mission with absolute joy. It wasn't a chore. It wasn't a rule to follow. It was a privilege that he got to do this, and by doing it, he was filled with joy. Now lastly, and kind of tying into what I just mentioned, keeping Jesus' commands looks like loving each other. 
Jesus says he's instructing his disciples to stay connected to him and to do so through being obedient to him, through loving each other sacrificially. And in this instruction, his joy will be in his disciples and their joy will be made full. Now, don't forget that Jesus' disciples were not some merry band of brothers, arm in arm, serving one another as they followed Jesus. Just like we have in any church, these people were all very different from one another. They had different personalities, different goals, different ways of thinking, different strengths and weaknesses. And Jesus called them to lower themselves to the point of serving one another sacrificially as a way of loving each other. And now Jesus says that by abiding in him, being obedient to his commands, they will be filled with joy. And following his commands means that they are loving one another. Now, verse 10 and verse 14, I want to quickly touch on before we move on. Verse 10 says, if you keep my commands, or if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And verse 14 says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And before we get into these last couple of sections in this chapter, I just want to clarify something in these two verses. These two statements in these two verses are not qualitative. That is, Jesus is not saying that if someone follows the law or follows his commands, he will then abide and bring about salvation. A non-believing person could very well act kind and loving to some people. They could spend time reading the Bible. They could participate in the life of the church, but they might not actually have a saving faith. The acts of obedience do not bring about your justification, your salvation in Christ. And like verse 14, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Again, a non-believing person would not be considered a friend of Jesus simply because of some work that they performed. Rather, these verses are descriptive in nature. Our obedience to Christ, our keeping His commandments, shows the validity of our abiding and our friendship with Christ. And at the same time, they are instructive to those who are abiding, who do have a relationship with Christ. We obey and we have joy in obeying because we have life in Christ. And again, this is a lot like the Beatitudes that we find in Matthew chapter 5. There you have these eight things Jesus mentions, and they're not the means by which a person is justified. Rather, they are reflective of those who have been justified. And so keep this in mind as you read through certain scriptures and encounter passages that look like this. Now, moving on to the last couple sections of this text. Let's look at John 15, verses 16 to 21. Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they do, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Now there's again a few things I want to point out in Jesus' words here. Jesus says to his disciples, You did not choose me, 
but I chose you. Again, this is not something new that just pops up here in John 15. This is a common teaching of Jesus from the start of the gospel right through this chapter. Now, in the Old Testament time and right up through the time of Jesus' ministry, it was most common for people to seek out a rabbi to follow. The student would ask the rabbi if he might follow him, and the rabbi would consider the student and if they, if they thought he had what it took to follow him. Now, most students ended up being turned away by a rabbi, and occasionally a rabbi might find an exceptional student and invite him to follow them. But we know from the Gospels that Jesus sought out the most unlikely of people. He chose them and called them to follow him. So what ways or for what purpose does Jesus say he chooses here in John 15? Well, Jesus says, I chose you and I appointed you that you should go. Now there's a ministry that these disciples were tasked with. Jesus chose them to go out and to preach the gospel. Jesus chose them for ministry for specific tasks. Jesus also says that he chose them that they should bear fruit. This choosing of Jesus is more than simple ministry tasks. Now at the start of this teaching, Jesus talks about branches, those that bear fruit and those that do not bear fruit. Those that are not fruit-bearing are cut off and burned. Those that are fruit-bearing are cared for and pruned that they might bear more fruit. We briefly looked at what that meant. And now Jesus says that he chose his disciples to bear fruit. Just let that sink in for a moment. Jesus' choosing is more than simple ministry calling. Jesus' choosing is also about growth and fruit-bearing as a branch connected to the vine. Thirdly, Jesus says he chose and appointed his disciples that their fruit would abide. That is, live in him, rest in him, remain in him. And this is nothing short of salvation talk. Now in his second letter to the church in Thessalonica, Paul writes in verse 13, We always give thanks to God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved. And here in John's gospel, Jesus says he chooses for salvation, he chooses for growth and fruit-bearing, and he chooses for ministry calling. The other thing that we need to really get a hold of from this portion of the text is that our going, our fruit-bearing, our abiding will not be met by acceptance, or not be met with, not be met with acceptance by the world. The world will not cheer you on as you follow Christ. That is something that a mentor told me once years ago, and it's always stuck with me. The world will not cheer you on as you follow Christ. Why? Because the world did not cheer Christ on as he walked the earth. We can see throughout Scripture that the world is living in rebellion to God. The world does not want God. The wisdom of the world is foolishness, or the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. And so when God stepped into his creation in the person of Jesus, the world was still, was still in rebellion to him and all he did and taught. And when Christ saves us, gives us new life in him, the world is now living in opposition to us as well. We are no longer of the world, 
And so we won't typically find encouragement, support, or cheering as we follow Christ, standing in opposition to the world. Now, do we want to live in such a way that we have a good reputation? Sure. We should be kind and generous and forgiving. And there are times these attributes will bring with them a positive response from parts of the non-believing world. But we're not called to seek out a life that comes with it a good reputation from the world. As we proclaim truth, as we live under the authority of Christ, as we become more and more like Jesus, there will be many times in which we may develop an unflattering reputation by those around us. And this leads into the last part of this section, which is actually the first few verses of chapter 16. John 16, verses 1 to 4. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. As we looked at a few weeks ago, we can take comfort when difficult times come knowing that God is in control. Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples that they will face hardships. And when they go through hardships, they need not be confused or wonder why it's happening. Because Jesus tells us that as his people, we will face opposition from the world. And we can take comfort knowing exactly what is going on. We will face opposition because we belong to God. And the world is in rebellion to God. And as we continue to live in the world, we can both see and experience this rebellion. But this is not a surprise. We know the spiritual reality that lies behind so much of what is taking place. And Jesus himself says, it will come. He says he has told us all of this, that when it comes, we might remember that he told us. We need not be unprepared. We need not be surprised or caught off guard. Difficulties will come, and through them we are to hold tightly to Christ. We are to remain in the vine. We are to abide. We continue to place our hope and our trust in Christ alone. We continue to be obedient to His commands. We continue to love one another. We continue to love and worship our God and Father. And as we do this, as we face opposition, we have joy in Christ through obedience to His commands. Because he chose us in him, that we would abide in him, that we would bear fruit, and that we would go. Now, when we bear fruit, we will face opposition. When we face opposition, we will abide in Christ. We will hold stronger to him. As we continue to abide in Christ, we will become more like Christ. As we become more like Christ, we will bear more fruit. And as we bear more fruit, we will face more opposition from the world. And round and round the circle goes. Now in Matthew chapter 5, we get these words of Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you re when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And my friends, this is the reality that we live in. And while it is all true, 
I want to close today with bringing us back to the first part of John 15 again. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words here again. God, I just pray that as we meditate upon these words, as we go out from here today, as we look at your scripture throughout this week, God, I pray that your word just cuts down deep into each and every one of us. Lord, help us to stop, to pause, to slow down. Help us to focus on the words that we read when we read them. Help us to know their meaning, to think about their meaning, contemplate their meaning. Lord, that through reading your word, hearing your word, hearing from you, that we would grow closer to you. We would become more attached to the vine. We would bear more fruit. We would become more like your son. And God, I pray that as you chisel us and prune us and cause us to be more like Christ, God, that as we are dealing with these challenges and these difficulties, the disciplines, the pruning, the opposition from the world, God, that we would hold fast to you evermore, that we would just place our hope and our trust in you. God, and I pray that as we go from here today, Lord, that our concern will not be on our reputations as people of this world, but that we will serve you in love. God, help us to live in a way that brings you glory and, bring us, and give us encouragement when discouragement comes our way. We pray this in your name. Amen.